Good morning. We are so glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. And we are so thankful that you are here this morning. We want to invite you to come back to be with us. We're very grateful. To those of you who are visiting with us, as always, we invite you to come back. We love to have visitors with us. And we want you to certainly feel at home here. Uh, we would love to have you come and be with us on a regular basis. And if you have that opportunity, we would welcome you. Very grateful for all the people that watch our telecast each and every week. We stream our services. Kevin Haddock has done a great job making that a reality. And we have a number of people that watch, not just locally, but in many other places, many states, and even abroad. And so we're very grateful for that. Uh, Kevin told me just the other day that his grandmother, who doesn't get out often, regularly watches our services, and so we're very glad that she is able to participate in our services with us. Uh, Nancy's aunt and uncle in Nashville, Tennessee, unable to be out often, Joy and Ed Beakley, and we're very grateful that they are able to be a part of our services here. We welcome them and welcome all of you. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in our lesson today, and really if you wanted to sum up 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it would be about the resurrection, the triumphant resurrection. And Paul makes a very powerful case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is upon the basis of the resurrected Christ that Paul says we too have the hope of being raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, Four times in that chapter, Jesus talks about raising people up at the last day. The resurrection is pivotal to Christianity. As a matter of fact, Christianity as a whole stands or falls on the basis of the resurrected Christ. And what Paul does at the first part of this great chapter is sets forth a, de a defense for the resurrected Christ. And then, as I said a moment ago, upon that basis the resurrection of the body from the grave. You remember in John chapter 11, Jesus said on one occasion, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what great encouragement we have in knowing that one day we can be resurrected from the grave. And I would say this at the onset of our study. Many of us have lost loved ones. Many of us have stood at the side of an open grave and we buried a spouse a parent, a sibling, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate. And as we have stood at the side of the open grave of our loved one, we take comfort in knowing that those who have died in Christ, they've gone to be with the Lord. And that as the Bible says, one day that tomb will be opened. You remember Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18? He said, I am He who was dead. But He said, I am alive forevermore. And He said, I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus, in that context, simply saying that He has the keys to the cemetery. And one day He will open the cemetery doors and the dead will be raised. And so, think with me for a few minutes about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Really, there are three basic points I want to share with you in our study. First, there is the preaching of the resurrection. Beginning in verse 1, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now as we think about the preaching or the presentation of the gospel of Christ, some would ask, What about the facts as they relate to the gospel? What are are those facts? Well, listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 3. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now we talk about some of the great truths that are revealed in Scripture. And the bottom line is simply this. Jesus Christ paid the price for those of us who have a problem with sin. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16, when He said to Nicodemus in the long ago, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think about Paul in writing to the saints in Rome when he said in the long ago, God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world wasn't lost upon the Apostle Paul. Paul would say in writing to Timothy in the long ago that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I'm chief. And so to know that Jesus paid the price for sin... Paul goes on to say that not only did Jesus die for sin, but that He was buried. And I think about Jesus being buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and the care that surrounded His burial. The fact that His disciples who loved Him anointed His body with spices and they placed Him in that new tomb. But then note, if you would, the continuation. In verse 4, Paul said, not only did Jesus die for our sins, not only was He buried, but He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That, in summation, really is the Gospel in a nutshell, as we say. The facts of the Gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, raised again the third day. Now, what about the focal point? What about the focus of the gospel? When you think about the gospel, what was it that Paul shared with other people? What was it the early church shared with the lost and dying world? Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I think about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul would say, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for His sake. Jesus was the focal point of the preaching and teaching. As a matter of fact, on Pentecost Day, 50 days after the Lord Jesus paid the price for sin, the Apostle Peter 
we have a narration of his preaching in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. And the thrust of his message was Jesus of Nazareth, the one that had been put to death, of whom Peter said God raised up, God raised him from the dead. And so the facts of the gospel, the focus of the gospel, well, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But then what about the power of the gospel, the plan of the gospel? Well, listen to what Paul said about this gospel that he preached, that he presented to a lost and dying world. He said, I preached to you, and he said, you received it. He said, you stand by it. But in verse 2 he said, by which also you are saved. The beauty of the gospel is, it is a saving message, isn't it? When we talk about the power of God's Word, that it has the ability to cut to the heart of the matter, it has the power to penetrate the heart, to change the life. Do you remember Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Hebrew writer talks about how God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The power of the God, it has the power to save people who are lost and dying in sin. Look at Paul. Is Paul not a case study of what the gospel can do in the lives of people? Paul recognized that the gospel had literally transformed his life. And here's the beauty of it it can transform your life, it can change your life, it can give you a better life. In John chapter 3, when Jesus talked about the new birth, Really what he was saying is the new birth affords us with a new beginning. And that new beginning affords us new blessings. Blessings that we've never tapped into before. Because ultimately all spiritual blessings reside in Christ Jesus. Now, not only does the gospel save, but Paul said the gospel has the power to secure your life. Listen to him again in verse 2. Paul said the gospel has the power to save you if you hold fast that word which I preached to you. There's something to be said about holding fast to Jesus. To living for Him day in, day out. To keeping our eyes on Jesus. To looking to the cross each and every day. One of the beautiful things that we do every first day of the week, we remind ourselves of the death of Jesus. As Brother Billy noted a moment ago, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you show forth the Lord's death till He come again. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? To think that we're holding fast to Christ. And we're holding fast to the Word of Christ because ultimately we understand there's a better day and a better place awaiting us. There's a second thing I want to share with you in our study. First, we talk about the preaching of the resurrection. But secondly, what about the proof? The proof of the resurrection. When I think about the proof of the resurrection, first and foremost, I'm reminded of the validity of the resurrection of Christ. Either the resurrection, either it is a fact or it's fiction. How do we know that the resurrection is factual? Well, first, 
Paul says, you need to understand something. There were some eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Now we talk about the testimony of an eyewitness in the court of law. There's something to be said for someone who takes the stand in a court of law and affirms on an oath that he or she has seen something or has witnessed something. They're validating that, aren't they? Well, Paul is saying here, there were some eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus presented Himself alive over the space of 40 days by many infallible proofs. In other words, there's some validation for this message we preach. In other words, as I said a moment ago, there were eyewitnesses, the testimony of those. Listen to him in verse 5. Paul said that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, the apostles. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But he said, some have fallen asleep. Some had already passed from this life. After that, he said he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And then in verse 8, Paul said, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Do you remember when, do you remember when the disciples of Jesus went to the tomb? Very early on the first day of the week at dawn, and the Bible tells us there were two angelic beings. And they asked the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? They would say, he is not here, he's risen. And then all of the people that had the opportunity to validate the eyewitness testimony, they had seen the Christ. They saw him, they touched him, they ate with him. Thomas, we typically talk about doubting Thomas. Thomas just wanted the evidence, didn't he? And we talk about not just the eyewitnesses, but the evidence. And Jesus would tell Thomas, all right, examine my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. And do you remember what Thomas said? My Lord and my God, the resurrected Jesus. The evidence for the resurrection of Christ is overwhelming. Now, think about the possibilities. I said a moment ago, either the resurrection of Jesus is factual or it is fictitious. Jesus Christ, Jesus Himself said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Lord Jesus fully expected to be raised from the dead. What about the evidence? Well, some would say that his disciples hid his body. Does that make sense? Others would say that his antagonists, that they stole the body. Again, does that make sense? I mean, if you want to stop Christianity in its tracks, then just present the body. It's all over. Why would the apostles, why would the disciples be willing to die for something that was nothing more than a fable? I don't believe that to be the case at all. In Acts chapter 2, Peter affirmed that God raised Jesus from the dead. 
Christianity either stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection. In chapter 3, the second gospel sermon recorded by Luke under the direction of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, Peter said, you have killed the prince of life. In verse 15, he said, but God raised him up of whom we are all witnesses. In chapter 4, in verse 2, the Bible says, they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And you can read the book of Acts, you can read some of the other epistles. Over and over and over again, they focused on the resurrected Christ. Why? Because it's fundamental to Christianity. As a matter of fact, we talk about the deity of Jesus. Did you know Paul said that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead? So, eyewitness testimony. We talk about those eyewitnesses and then the evidence. Now we think about the validity of the resurrection, but what about the value of the resurrection? I mean, what's, what's really the significance of the resurrection to people past and present? Well, note if you would, beginning in verse 12 and following, what Paul's going to do, he's going to say, look, if there, if there was no resurrection, if Jesus had not been resurrected from the grave, there are some logical points that we need to consider. Number one, he said, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching is pointless. Listen to him, verse 14. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. It's useless. It's empty. I mean, you're just preaching a hollow message, aren't you? I mean, if all this about the resurrection of Christ from the grave, if it's nothing more than fiction or fable or a hoax, then we're just wasting our time preaching and teaching the gospel. And yet... What did Paul preach and teach? He preached the resurrection of Jesus. Do you remember when he went to Athens? That intellectual hub of that day and time? Athens, Greece? A city renowned for her great philosophers, her intellectual thinkers. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17 that when Paul went to the, to the city of Athens, he saw the idolatry that was rampant in that city. And do you know what he preached about? He preached Jesus and the resurrection. And let me tell you what, he got their attention. Many of those philosophers did not believe in the immortality of life. And Paul's here to say, look, you need to understand something. I'm preaching about Jesus, and Jesus was raised from the dead, and it got their attention. So our preaching is pointless if... There is no resurrection. Secondly, he said, if there is no resurrection, the disciples, he said, they're deceptive. Listen to him, verse 15. Yes, he said, we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. What are you saying, Paul? He's saying, if, if the resurrection is a hoax, if it is nothing more than fiction and fable, then let me tell you what, we're deceiving people. Because we've been going out preaching and teaching the resurrected Christ, and if that be the case, then we are nothing short of deceivers. Not so. There is a third point Paul makes, and that is if there 
is no resurrection. Paul said, you need to understand something. Our faith is futile. Listen to him again in verse 14. If Christ is not risen, our preaching is vain. And he said, your faith is also vain. It's useless. It's empty. Drop down, look at verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is what? It's futile. Now we talk about the substance of our faith. Through the eye of faith, we believe in the Lord, don't we? We have an abundant testimony right here called the Bible. There are two ways to know something about God. The first would be creation. Remember what the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork. I can know that there's a God when I look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon, the stars. I can know that there's a God when I see rolling hills and the many lakes and rivers and oceans. I can tell there's a God by the handiwork of His creation. But I can't know the mind of God, the will of God, and the way of God without revelation. And God has revealed Himself unto us through His Holy Word. And so as a result of His Word, I have faith, don't I? Faith in the living God. I have faith beyond this life. It's not an empty faith, not a vain faith, not a futile faith. It is a faith that has substance. So if there's no resurrection, Paul said our preaching is pointless. He said the disciples, he said they're deceptive. Our faith, it's futile. And then he said, if there is no resurrection, sin is sovereign. We still got a problem with sin, don't we? Listen to what he said. Verse 17, if Christ is not risen, he said your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now think about that for a minute. This age-old problem that we've been grappling with, the human family as a whole, since Adam. Because of Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden, sin made its entrance into the world. And sin has separated us from our God. It's called sin. Sin identified as the missing of the mark, the transgression of the law, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. And Paul is saying, look, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you need to understand something. You still got a problem with sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ezekiel said, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. But then there's a final thing. Paul said, if there is no resurrection, then death has not been defeated. Now think about that for a minute. We understand that death is a reality in the world we live, in the world in which we live. And Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope beyond the grave. Because death has not been defeated. Listen to him in verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we, have, we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Drop down, look at verse 22. In verse 22, Paul said, As in Adam all die, death came into the world as a result of sin. Romans 5, verse 12. As in Adam all die, but now know what he says, Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Paul said in verse 26, The last enemy that will be destroyed is what? Is death. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus had the ability to disarm the devil. 
And as I said a moment ago, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, look, I've got the keys to the cemetery. There's coming a day when I will unlock the cemetery doors and all the dead will come forth. Third thing I want to share with you very quick, quickly. Our time's almost gone. The promise of the resurrection. Okay, what about, what about those of us who are alive today? Do we have the promise of the resurrection? The benefits of the resurrection are already outlined. But what about the promise of the resurrection? Well, what Paul does in a very concise way, he talks about the reality of the resurrection. He speaks of the time of the resurrection and the transformation that will occur at the resurrection. Listen to him, verse 50. This I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. He said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But he said, we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, he said, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, Paul said, the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Every single person, Every single person who has died in Christ has hope beyond this life. We have the hope that we will be raised. Now Jesus said, the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the dead will be raised. When will that be? I don't know. I just know the Lord Jesus is coming. And I know that when it comes, there will be a transformation that occurs. It will be instantaneous. Paul said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. He said, the dead will be raised and we'll be changed. When he wrote to the church at Philippi, he said that God would change our vile, our lowly body like unto His glorious body. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 that this corruptible, this corruptible body will put on incorruption. This mortal body will, be put, will put on immortality. And he said, when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Listen to him, verse 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I live today in the land of the dying. But there will come a time when I will step out into the land of the living where people die no more. And Paul here is affirming the fact that when we die in Christ, that we can look forward to the future resurrection. Listen to him very quickly in verse 58 as he talks about how we ought to live in a state of readiness for the resurrection. He exhorts these people to be faithful and fruitful to God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why, Paul? Knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. I want to close by sharing with you something. Since January 1 of 2019, 
we've lost some people who have been a very important part of this church. People that we've known, people that we've loved, people that we still love. We bid goodbye. We carry their earthly, earthly remains to a place called a cemetery. And we placed that body that we've known and loved in the ground. We didn't do it without hope. But we placed that body in the ground knowing with absolute certainty that one day that same body would be raised from the dead. As Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall never die. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks this question, do you believe? One day the Lord Jesus will come. The dead will be raised. And we will be ushered into the presence of God. As a child of God, probably, I mean, there are so many things to think about with regard to the last day. But I think one of the most encouraging thoughts is to know that we will be in the presence of people that we've known and loved. People that we said goodbye to this year. But there will be a reunion of sorts. We'll be together again. And listen to this, forevermore. Because John said, death will be no more. The things that we deal with on this earth, gone. Gone. Forevermore. We have hope today because of the resurrected Christ. The triumphant resurrection. Jesus was the first, the first fruits of those who have died. And the idea is, there'll be a great harvest on Resurrection Day. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, we'll rise. If you're here today and you're not, a, and you're not in Christ, I want you to understand that Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. If you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am, you, there you cannot come. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you would willingly turn away from a life of sin through repentance, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37, and be baptized into Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty of it. All your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And if you'll live faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. One day we'll stand in the presence of God. And we long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that, is that what you'll hear? I pray so. If you're here today and you're not faithful to the Lord, and we could pray with you and for you, we'd be happy to do that as we stand and sing.